How does a wirehouse compare to an RIA? That is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is question number 60. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all of the resources that I put out there, the video series, podcast series, white papers, uh, all available for free, all designed to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transitiontoria.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be comparing that wirehouse model against the RIA model. And, and I, this won't be an exhaustive list, and, and I might even eventually have to do a second episode uh, because I won't be able to get through everything. But, but these are some of the main kind of highlights, and I want to help people understand the differences. And so for particularly for those of you that are at a wirehouse now, obviously you understand how your model works. And so this is meant to help you understand how some of these variables differ in how they work in the RIA model. Uh, and I would tell you as I go through this, I don't want it to come across as, oh, I'm biased towards the RIA model and that, oh, I believe everyone should be going into the RIA model because that's, that's simply not the case. While the RIA model has significant benefits to it, significant advantages from an economic standpoint, flexibility standpoint, it's, it's not for everyone. And I've said that in a number of these episodes, uh, you, you have to look at each advisor's uh, situation on a one-by-one -one basis because each advisor is unique. And, and for many advisors, it does make sense. And, and there is a reason they should transition into that model. And they do transition into the model. And, and in other instances, it might make sense for a wirehouse advisor to stay at a wirehouse. Um, and, and so I don't want it to come across as, oh, that this is implying that everyone should go RA. Uh, but I think you'll start to see some of the differences of why you should at least if you're at that wirehouse now, fully understand what the RA model looks like to know, is it, is it better off for you to stay put or maybe be looking to make a change? Uh, and I'll give you just a quick example. This was just earlier this week, talking to a, a two-person advisor team in the W-2 model. Uh, and and they, they realized the value, they realized the economics, the flexibility, it would be better for their practice. But in their particular case, both of them had young families at home. And for them, and at a personal level, it was, it was just too much of a mountain to climb right now to tackle you know, raising young families and be making a change to their business. And, and I respect that. There's, there's, that's a perfect example of why someone might want to stay put, even if the economics are better, even if the flexibility is better. Um, so again, advisor by advisor, you have to look at what their specific circumstances are. So uh, again, we're going to go through a couple items here one by one that I, that I think will be uh, beneficial for you. So the first one is, is payout. So uh, obviously in the wirehouse world, there is a grid payout system. So every dollar that comes in and fees and revenues that you, the advisor, generate, it goes through this payout grid, which should be relatively simple. It should be What's the number on there? But of course, and, I'll, and I'm going to get to comp plans a little later. Uh, the comp plans have now made that process significantly more difficult to actually calculate what actually flows to you at the end of the day. But the idea being that every dollar that you bring in, and, and, and make no mistake, it is you, the advisor, that is generating that dollar for the firm. You retain only a portion of that per the payout. So you, if, if uh, a dollar comes in, you might retain forty percent of that, as an example, forty-five percent. That's your payout. That's what's retained by you. 
In the RIA model, whether you have your own RIA and you're building out everything around it, or you maybe join in an existing RIA, and I've done a whole episode on, on why you might want to consider that and what that looks like, it's typically the exact opposite uh, viewpoint. So in, in the RIA model, you do want to think of it as, hey, I, I've generated a dollar, for instance, in fee revenue, that full dollar flows to me. And now, while I don't have a payout, I do have a P&L uh, that I need to be responsible for my local expenses for running my practice. And so I, I do have to cover those expenses. But mentally, it's, hey, a dollar comes in and I get to retain that full dollar. And then I get to determine what my, what my expense level is going to be. And then ultimately, what then nets down to me. And so I, I've written a number of articles on this topic and whatnot. I, I always suggest wirehouse advisors Think of the inverse in your situation as well. So to use very simple numbers here, let's say you're a wirehouse advisor generating $1 million a year uh, in, in, in production revenue, and maybe that's a 40% payout. And so mentally, and again, it's not this simple, but because uh, there's deferred comp and all kinds of uh, extra things in the comp plan that, that make it more complicated. But let's say you're a million dollars, you're 40% payout. In theory, $400,000 should go into your pocket. Uh, or put differently, and what I encourage you to think about is, no, don't think about, oh, I made 400000 last year. Think of it as, no, I generated a million dollars in fees in, in commission revenue, and my, my firm provided me with certain value and services to be able to generate that million dollars. And in return, I paid them $600,000 for that value that they provided for me. And, and when you start thinking about it that way, the question is, are you getting enough value for what it is you are paying them? Again, the inverse of the, 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 uh, the, the payout grid, because again, that's typically how it's done in the RA model. You think you bring in 100%, you have certain costs, and, and then you can very easily see, am I getting the value for this cost item or this cost item because I'm, I'm paying it? So again, fundamentally different ways that payouts work in the wirehouse model versus the RIA model. Uh, Next up is technology. I just did an episode on what is a tech stack. Uh, so certainly if you want to dive more into that topic, you can check out that full episode. But, but technology is fundamentally different between the wirehouse model and the RA model as well. So in that wirehouse model, for those of you advisors that are wirehouse, you, you clearly know it's, it's kind of an integrated proprietary technology solution that's provided for you. So your firm over the years and decades has built this technology, hopefully continues to reinvest in that technology and provide you that full kind of desktop system. In the RIA model, while there's some integrated solutions that a custodian might provide, the typical approach is that you build what's called a tech stack. And again, I did a full episode on this. So I'm not gonna dive into it too far here, but in short, you go out there and sort, uh, source the best in breed of all different kinds of technology vendors out there, whether that's you know, rebalances or CRMs or financial planning. And, and some, even some of those are bundled up to make it a little easier for you. But you get to really pick and choose from what's out there and what's best for your practice. And so you say, well, well which is better? And there's actually a, a misconception, which is thankfully subsiding that, that the, the, the tail for a long time, the wirehouses of the world would say, oh, that the, that, that the technology in the art space is inferior to what we have available. And there was a time that you got to go back a long time ago. That was correct. And the reason was because that wirehouse that had 10,000 plus 15,000 plus advisors 
had the scale to amortize the cost of that tech investment they needed to make to build that technology over this 10,000 advisors, 15,000 advisors. And at the time, the RA world was, was not nearly what it is today and was certainly more fragmented. And so any one particular technology solution did not have that many users to be able to spread that cost against. And so, and so just arguably couldn't invest or reinvest into their solution enough to compete with that. But the reality is that's completely changed now. There are more advisors in the RIA space by headcount than there are in the wirehouse space. So these, these third-party tech providers, well, not all of them, there's certainly some upstarts, now have more scale themselves than the wirehouse technology solutions do. So to the degree you ever hear that that is an entirely misconception. While the wirehouses have obviously built some good technology and, and hopefully it continues always to be improving, by no means should the default be to think that that is superior to what is available, not to mention the flexibility in the RA space, again, for you to source and, and perhaps change over time which technology solutions you use. In the wirehouse model, the, the benefit of it, it's all packaged up, it's all integrated, it's all there, plug and play. However, to the degree you want to step outside of that sandbox, you don't have the ability to do so. Or that if their technology does not keep up with the innovation in the industry, you're stuck solely using the wirehouse technology. And kind of related to that, the next one, so TAMPs. Again, I did an episode on this as well. What is a TAMP? So a TAMP, in short, is basically a, a platform to give you access to some sort of managed money solution. So uh, that could be third-party separately managed account uh, managers. It could be models that, that you implement or, or utilize your, your assets, your client assets into. Um, so you have, to have a, you have to have a way to access those solutions. And so uh, at a wirehouse, your firm has essentially made an in-house TAMP, whether they branded anything uh, specifically or not. But basically, they're saying, hey, if you need or want to use managed money solutions, we, the wirehouse, have gone out into the universe of options, and we've curated this list, and here is what you have available to you. Now, to be sure, what you have available to you as a wirehouse advisor is a small fraction of the solutions that are available to the entire universe of, of uh, and, and, and the advisory marketplace. Uh, and the reason your firm has narrowed that list is primarily for two reasons. Uh, one, they, they do have an obligation from a regulatory perspective to supervise you because you're a registered rep of their broker dealer. They have to formally supervise you. Uh, and so for that, they've gone out there and they said, hey, we, we don't want to offer the, the 500 plus solutions to our advisors to choose from. We're going to get comfortable with this small subset of them. And we are comfortable with those. And so that's the only thing our advisors are allowed to use. And so from a supervisory standpoint, we're more comfortable with that. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not good other managers that didn't make the cut. You don't have access to them in most cases. You, you are constrained by what your firm has put on their TAMP platform. Uh, and then the other reason they, they kind of narrow it down is sometimes it's economics of, of how they position or how they price it all out. It can perhaps be more advantageous for them to incorporate certain managers onto the platform uh, than other managers. Whereas in the RIA space, while some custodians have kind of TAMP solutions you can lean on if you want, the typical approach is to use a third-party TAMP solution, which says, hey, we're going to create a platform, and there's a number of varieties of this, 
And we're separate from the custodian, we're separate from the RIA, and we, we try to bring as much of the universe of solutions as possible to you, and you, the advisor, get to choose from all of these different solutions. The TAMP solution is not, does have, has no regulatory responsibility to supervise you or, or purposely narrow it down in, in a particular fashion. You, you have access to use that, and to the degree one TAMP solution does not satisfy your needs, you could use a different TAMP solution. Again, in the RA model uh, marketplace, you have that flexibility to do that. So fundamental differences on TAMPs as well. If you want to dive more into kind of how TAMPs work, all the different varieties of them, again, check that other episode. But it is what it is. It's a much more constrained TAMP solution in the wirehouse model than is available to you in the RIA model. Uh, Next one is, is real estate, or we could call it office space. So part of the value proposition of a wirehouse, and, and we have to give them credit for the value and services they do provide, but part of that value is they provide you with office space. Um, and and that, can, that can be a great thing, or, or maybe you don't like the office space. Um, interest in the last two years with COVID uh, has kind of fundamentally changed the perception of how valuable that office space actually is to you as the advisor and maybe to your clients. Uh, but the reality is they provide it for you uh, as, part of, as part of what you're essentially giving up in your payout. In the RIA space, there, there are some RIAs you could potentially join that, that their value proposition does supply you with office space. But typically, if you start your own RIA for sure, or if you join an existing RA, oftentimes the value proposition has you choosing your own office space. And that's to your benefit because that gives you the flexibility to decide how fancy of space do you want, how, how uh, economical of space do you want, where do you want the location of that space to be, and you actually get to control that variable. Uh, not, not the old, hey, here it is, and for better or worse, that, that's, that's what you get. And again, for, for some of you, that might be very nice office space, but I'd also say, hey, maybe you're effectively overpaying for that office space. Maybe you don't need something that fancy, but, but you don't have a choice because it's provided for you and you have a payout that everything goes through. In the RA space, you have the flexibility to decide yourself what, how much you are willing to commit of your revenue to cover office space. And an interesting quagmire I sometimes point out in the wirehouse space, there, there's, uh, you know, everything goes through the payout grid like we talked about, but there's, there's not different payout grids based on which part of the country you're in. So it's, it's actually an interesting situation that an advisor in downtown Manhattan, that, that arguably it's very expensive real estate the firm is, is having to supply and provide for you, the advisor. You, you have the same payout as the advisor in, in Idaho that, that, that presumably has far less expensive real estate being provided to them. And so it's, it's maybe nice for that Manhattan uh, advisor because they're, they're in some ways perhaps being subsidized by that Idaho advisor because, again, you're both getting the same payout, even though one of you is arguably getting much nicer, more expensive, at least, real estate than, than the other advisor. And even for that, that New York City or the Manhattan advisor, you could say, oh, well, I'm, so I, gotta, I have a good deal. Well, again, that, that assumes you're getting enough value from what's being provided and your, your clients care enough about that value. And the RIA space, even in a big city like New York City where things are more expensive, in the RIA space, you have the ability to decide what kind of location you want to have and how extravagant or not extravagant it is. And you control the PNL and, and how it impacts your office uh, expense. So again, two, two fundamental differences, again, on office space as well. 
Uh, next up is, is compliance. So this, this is a big one. So uh, most of you at a wirehouse are wearing two hats. You are a registered rep of the wirehouse's broker dealer, and you are an investment advisor rep of the wirehouse's RIA. So you are under both SEC and FINRA regulations. And that, that can be a challenge because they, they, they clearly do not all line up in, in every capacity. In the RIA space, to the degree, you don't have to, but to the degree you decide to go 100% fee only, you would only be under SEC regulations at that size, or if, if you were small enough, you might be under your state, uh, but you would not be under FINRA. You would no longer be under FINRA if you, if you no longer did any commission solutions. Um, but for those of you that do have commission business now that you wanna continue or it's legacy business, uh, there are all kinds of solutions now of how to accommodate that, some of which do include you working with, as they say, an RIA-friendly broker-dealer where you would still retain that FINRA oversight. Uh, but then there's also solutions now uh, which go beyond the scope of this particular video where you, you can have a way to kind of carry on with that business but not have to have that FINRA oversight. To the degree you want to dive further into that, uh, you know, feel free to reach out and I can explain it further. I'm, I'm sure I'll do a, a, a future episode on, on some of those additional solutions as well. Uh, but it is just a fundamental difference of, from a regulatory standpoint where you can, you can potentially no longer be part of FINRA and just under the SEC. Uh, and then a really important thing at the more firm level. So right now, you, you have to adhere to what the wirehouse's compliance team decides of how to implement rules and regulations. So from a regulatory standpoint, there, there are certain things that are black and white. You, you can do it, you can't do it. And other things require interpretation of how are we going to manage our risk. So take, for example, what I said about TAMPS. There, there's no rule that says a broker dealer, or in this case, it would be the RIA part of it, can't make more money managers available for their advisors to utilize. But because they have that responsibility, because you're a registered rep to supervise you, they narrow that down. Uh, and so that compliance is dictated what you can and can't do beyond just what is black and white in the regulations. And as many of you know, how they interpret certain things, or if you've ever been told, oh, no, you can't do something, or you, 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 you can't do it how you want to do it. The question you should ask yourself is, is that because the rule says I can't do it? Or is that be, because just how the firm wants to interpret and implement the rule means I can't do it? You're in a very captive compliance situation. In the RIA space, make no rule, make, make no mistake. You still have to follow regulatory rules for sure. However, especially if you have your own RIA, how you implement them, you're going to have significant more flexibility to decide on, hey, how can we interpret and implement this particular rule that we can satisfy our obligations and still run the kind of advisory practice we want to. And so maybe you are well comfortable having a much larger universe of managed money solutions available to you than the wirehouses. And so it's just a fundamental difference uh, of, from a flexibility standpoint. And then, and then keep in mind on the uh, compliance in the RA space, I've done a bunch of episodes on that. Uh, you work with the default, uh, just at a high level here, is you work with external third-party compliance consultant firms that, that help you manage all of that. And the reality is you, you, do need to, you do need to work with them. It's not, there's no regulation that says it, but it's best practice and it just, it makes sense to do it. Uh, you work with them and it is their job to help you stay within the, within the rules and make sure you're, you're not running afoul of the SEC or your state or whatever the case is. Um, so, so that they are doing their job by sometimes telling you, no, you can't do something. However, they do have a responsibility to try to be flexible with, 
with uh, help you be flexible with how you can implement things where that flexibility does exist. But more importantly, if you think that compliance firm is not being responsive to your needs, they're not willing to consider different solutions, those sorts of things. Well, guess what? For the first time in your life or your career, if you've only ever been in a warehouse world, in the RA world, you can fire that effective compliance team and use some other solution that is more responsive to your needs, that is more willing to think through solutions. Uh, and again, you, you, you do need to take the advice of these folks. That's why you're hiring them. But you actually have some control over these teams. If you Again, if you don't like their service, if you don't like their, how they're approaching things, you have the ability to change them. They are a vendor of yours, a solution provider of yours. In the wirehouse model, you are strictly captive to the compliance team. You have no say over what they do or don't do. Uh, the last two items that I'll wrap up on, one, one is a big one. So comp plan, your compensation plan. In the wirehouse world, of, of, you know, it's, it's, it's this crazy concept that every year, I, I was trying to think of what other industries this may occur in, where except for the brief pause, perhaps because of COVID, that pretty much every single year, your compensation plan is changed by the, the, uh, the higher ups at the firm. And, and, I, and, it's, and again, if you think about what other industry has to constantly every year reset how you're paid and maybe the screws get tightened a little more and all of a sudden you have to jump through more, more hurdles to make the same amount of income that, that you would have made the year before and certainly five years ago. That's, and, and you have no control over that. You can complain about it, but as long as you're staying there, again, you, can, you, can, you do have control in the sense that you can walk out the door and go in a different direction. But as long as you're staying there, you effectively have little to no control over this constantly changed compensation plan that, make no mistake, is meant to constantly squeeze out more profits for the firm. In the RIA space, there, there really is no such thing as a compensation plan. If you have your own RIA, just all, all you're running is your PL. Okay, what, what are your local expenses going to be? Again, back to that office. How extravagant is your office? What technology solutions do you want to use and that you have to pay for? What kind of compliance solution are you going to use that you have to pay for? But, but effectively, the compensation plan says, hey, 100 cents on the dollar comes in the door. I, the RIA, get to decide what my cost structure is going to be and how much I'm going to spend on all these different required parts of running an RA. And what's left over comes directly to me. There is no one else monkeying around with that. Your custodian doesn't have any say in that. Your compliance firm doesn't have any say in that. That is you to decide on your own. Okay, here's my advisory practice. There's certain solutions I need to have to run the practice. I either individually source them out or I lean on there's bundled solution providers that can package it all up at once. I pay them, what's left over goes into my pocket. That is your comp plan. That doesn't change every year. That's not out of your control. You absolutely control every part of it. Fundamental difference of how advisors are paid, the wirehouse model versus the RA model. And then the last one, sorry to pour a little salt in the wound here, uh, is the in the wirehouse world, there, there's this increase in push. There has been for a couple of years now of forcing advisors to introduce perhaps banking products from the affiliated or parent company of the, 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 the wirehouse firm to your clients. And by the way, if you don't make X referrals per year or they sign up for X new solutions or loans or credit cards or whatever, you get docked on your pay. Uh, I've never come across any advisor that says they actually like that. They like being forced on that. They like every year that changing on them. In the RA world, that doesn't exist at all. No one is going to tell you, oh, you have to introduce certain 
products or, or services to your clients or anything like that. That does not exist. If, if you have your own RA, it is your decision what you do or don't do to generate revenue. And even if you join another RA, that is not something that happens in the RA space to, to try to force you into, into uh, the upsell or, or whatever the, the bank wants to kind of politely call it. I guess that's not so polite, uh, to be honest, uh, of, of all these auxiliary services that most advisors never signed up in the first place to be a, a bank and sales rep. They, they signed up to be an advisor. So just know that's a fundamental difference. That exists in the wireless model. It, it essentially doesn't exist at all in the RIA model. Um, plenty more items I could go into. Uh, I don't want to make this episode too long. So uh, again, maybe I'll end up doing a, a, a second episode on this topic as well. Uh, but it is just important to be aware of what these differences are. Again, not every advisor, uh, does it make sense for them to go in the RA space. Even all these differences, these advantages that I've talked about, again, it's case-by-case -case basis of does it make sense for you, does it not? What I would challenge you, though, to is if you are in that wirehouse world, do you fully understand how it would, how your practice would look, how it would work, what the economics would be, what the flexibility would be in the RIA model? And if, and if you do and you fully vetted that out, and that's something I routinely help advisors with, then and only then can you really make an informed decision to know, oh, wow, that, that RIA path is actually better for me or no having now considered everything and considered my personal and professional situation, no, maybe I am actually better off staying put. And again, like I said at the top of the episode, there are scenarios where that will be the case. But how can you know if staying put is best for you at, un, unless you at least understand what the options look like? Again, that's the thing I help advisors with all day long is understanding everything there is to know about the RA model, what it would look like for your specific practice. Like I said, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RA. Again, have this sort of conversation all the time with advisors. Happy to have the conversation with you as well as to look at what, what, what is this RA model? How does it work? Obviously, I've made a lot of episodes, um, but there's a lot, of, a lot of questions that still come out of those episodes and, and, and questions specific to your practice. So I have that conversation and it's very educational initially, and then it starts diving into very specific to your individual practice. Let's look at what that would look like in the RA space. Does it make sense to be in the RA space? And to the degree it does, how would you go about transitioning into it? Again, happy to help you with that. Uh, so if you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, again, you can find my entire series in video format, podcast format. I have white papers as well. Uh, and then at the top of every page of the website, it's a contact link. Uh, just click on that. You can instantly and easily schedule time to have a conversation with me about today's topic or anything RA related at all. Happy to have that conversation with you. With that, I hope you, I hope you found value in today's episode, and I'll see you on the next one.